when I look to the principles, it's in fact an internal art. Uh, they they uh, provide uh, uh, a challenge for it. Hey, you can move uh, relaxed, but are you also able to move relaxed when someone really wants to take your head off? This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Jan, welcome back to the podcast. So great to see you. Yeah, thank you. Great to be back. Yeah, so I think it's um, it's about a year, I think, roughly a year since we last spoke. I think I feel like it was about February last year. So it's a winter thing. I need to connect with the Dutch. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> During winter, yeah, because we are so close to the North Pole. <laughs> don't know something, but yeah, I've, um, I, I think probably what what prompted me to get back in touch was um, seeing your uh, your kind of workshop on uh, the Evolve Move Playgroup. They had that embodied movement oh, summit. Of, uh, Rafe Kelly's, uh, yeah, with Rafe Kelly, yeah, and that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm just like, oh man, I've been meaning to reconnect with Jan and ask him some more questions about things and getting back on the podcast. And so that was that was a really good prod. I'm like, yeah, he's one of the brightest guys I know. Let's get him back in in conversation. And th- and there's a couple of things also that I've been musing over um, and not come up with any hard, um, well evidenced answers to in my own head. So I, I kind of want to get your take on a few things um but just first up uh, what have you been up to over the last year i mean it's it's been weird for everybody right we've had to deal with changes in working situation and limitations on travel and things like that how has um how's the last year kind of impacted your working life and what you've been up to well uh, work-wise i was forced to do a lot online yeah which for me was terrible yeah because i had to sit in a chair for hours a day talking <laughs> like this uh, yeah, that's that's not my cup of tea. Uh, yeah, from but... from movement scientists to be told that you can't move. That's quite... <laughs> no, it's not ideal, is it? Yeah. But you know, yeah. I also have to be honest. It also uh, provided me with an income, uh, mm. which which made it uh, uh, well doable to survive uh, this whole COVID uh, 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 well chaos. <laughs> sure. I can almost say. Uh, rather reasonably and and uh, yeah for the rest i i, I did a lot of, of experiments uh movement wise to because you know in, in in my head as a child i was already totally uh taken by by uh, what they call in 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 judo serio conoscenio so maximal uh, effect with minimal effort yeah and I'm still focused on that, and and so uh, luckily I have a son of 16 year old, also a, a trained martial artist. So I had my uh, sparring partner at home. So we did a lot of experiments, and and I did some individual um, mobility work, and but also always according to this principle: can I do it with less? Um, and and that 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 offered some interesting insights <laughs> yeah it's, it's been it's been a weird period i think maybe we talked about it a little bit last time and, ju- and just for those who haven't listened to the last podcast one you should like go back and listen to it because you said share some brilliant insights and it's well worth um hearing um and that will also kind of give some more context for your background and you know what qualifies you to talk about a lot of the things i mean and if i remember rightly in addition to being like a brilliant uh, neuroscientist and movement scientist and kind of having that academic rigor applied to the way that you study movement you also you studied more than a couple of martial arts right if i if i remember yeah. right it's judo karate 
uh, Silat, maybe a little bit of that, and uh, yeah, uh, some yeah, other yeah. things thrown in there as well before Sistema. I, I, I started with judo when I was four, and I'm yeah. 50 uh, plus <laughs> yeah. now. Uh, so I started with uh, judo then, and in the in the 80s, the Karate Kid movie uh, came out, and yeah. uh, I had to switch to uh, to. Uh, I did several. Uh, styles. So I started sure. with Shotokan, Kyokushin, uh, Goju-ryu. Uh, studied uh, a while with uh, Jean Frenet, the, the, the Canadian Tornado. And you, you, were, got... you were competitive in the karate as well, right? You were yeah, like yeah, a yeah, world yeah, champion. I did like both. I did both the, the, the kumite and, and the forms. Yeah. And because I had some rough uh, incidents uh, in kumite, uh, mm-hmm. I, during one fight, I almost killed the guy, not by intention. But I kicked him into his neck, and mm. uh, what well, there are all the nerve centers for for the breathing and stuff sure. like that. Yeah, and he he got a contusion in into his uh, like a swelling into the brainstem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, well, luckily he survived. But I was totally mm. shaken by that event, and I said, I, I don't want to fight anymore. Mm. So I switched from one day to the other completely into forms, and mm. I I did that for a while and. Then my Shilat teacher brought me back to fighting, but then came this this focus of the child back that, I, yeah, of course, I want to be able to defend myself, but not, mm. I don't want to kill another human being or to damage another being, but it needs to be clear mm. that they also mm. uh, don't uh, kill me or damage sure. me. You still need to prevail, right? You don't need to destroy them, but you still need to prevail, right? So, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so that that made me uh, become more interested in in the internal uh, arts. Hmm. Um, but I already very quickly I I came to notice that in, uh, especially in the internal arts there are a lot of beliefs and assumptions. Yeah. And and which are only true within the group, but sure. once you get out of the group, the assumptions. Are just assumptions and they don't work and, and they, they get tested rather quickly by a, by a hard punch in the face or something which, yeah, which we've seen playing example, out on youtube yeah. quite a lot you know you see the you but know, the still, I, stuff still like. i believe that that the the, the principles uh, yeah they use are are very valuable yeah but they only practice it in a wrong way mm. yeah and then i came to sistema in the end uh, so mm. through krav maga i did all this reality based uh, stuff because of a project i did for the dutch police academy yeah uh, which brought me to to sistema and then uh, that was the first moment that i thought oh this is when i look to the principles it's in fact an internal art yeah sure uh, but uh, they they uh, especially in the early days they mm. they provide uh, uh, a challenge for it sure. so Okay, yeah. you can move uh, relaxed, mm. but are you also able to move relaxed when someone really wants to take your head off? Yeah, exactly. Right. So they're trying, they're attempting that synthesis of internal principles and yeah. kind of the ideal, like that Socratic ideal of like how, you know, if I'm going to approach the ideal of perfection of using almost no effort and effortless power and all the things they talk about in old Tai Chi scrolls, yeah. you know, it's like, can we yeah. do that? But when somebody's really trying to stab you or punch you in the face, right? So so we're not yeah. pretending to do it. We're using that as a basis for our power. And so it, for better or worse than Sistema practitioners and clubs and attempt to kind of attempt that synthesis, I think, you know what I mean? To, to, to a large extent, which is a brave thing to do. I think you've got, you've got to look at it. It is. Way. And it also, it also uh, is the cause of a lot of criticism of course and, of course and yeah i th- and i think partly is it's also be you know um 
I think one of the most important things I always tell instructors, I'm teaching at a national uh, uh, martial arts instructor course here in the Netherlands, hmm. and I always tell them, uh, make sure uh, that you choose the correct mindset. Uh, yeah. Someone who is training with you to defend him or herself needs a totally different mindset. It ne- hmm. He or she needs a survival mindset, also hmm. not a competitive mindset, because when you you teach them from a competitive mindset, they want to win. Yeah. But I know from my own experience that sometimes your survival uh, is uh, in, uh, helped in a positive way when you lose. Yeah. So you, yeah. you get hit and you say, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you're stronger than me, and you run away. True. Instead of your ego coming into play and say, what do you know? Yeah. So you, and, and if someone trains with you from... from uh, you know, the perspective of, yeah, I don't want to fight, but yeah, martial movement just appeals to me. Mm. But I want to develop myself as a person. I want to be able to handle stress in a better way. And yeah, somehow I get the impression that that martial arts might be good for that. Mm. That person also needs a totally different mindset. Mm. And what I see, especially in Sistema, but in more martial arts, but Sistema... needs to be uh, needs to watch that is that they mix up that so yeah. uh, you can't teach spiritual stuff to to a special forces operator hmm. and you can't teach what you teach to a special forces operator to someone who is only interested in in the, in the personal development aspects of martial arts hmm. and that, that that in my opinion uh, part of of the source of the criticism Sistema receives is because of that the framing, the kind of framing effect. Kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. They teach, they teach, they they make people good at wrong things, <laughs> so mm. to say. Mm. Yeah. So I'd like to kind of dig into that a little bit and pull it apart because, um, so yeah. that first that first aspect, which I think we started to get into in the last um, podcast a little bit, but just really with some comparisons between maybe like reality based martial arts versus internal ones generally, right, and the mindsets mm-hmm. that they take. Um, but you've you've pointed out one kind of dichotomy there, which is like, okay. What's your motivation for for studying this, for learning this movement, right? And um, for learning, let's let's not say movement. Let's say like series of movements or the system that yeah. you're studying, something like that. For just for this part of the conversation, um, and and there's a there's a bright line there for you between teaching something which is immediately practical, right, which needs to respond to active pressure and response and people giving you a hard time and feeling you know you need to learn under those conditions to know whether or not it, it works for you and and you can't afford to just have all of your training be soft and slow and all of those things right no. um and and there's some fundamental foundational principles of combat that you need to understand or combative yeah. movement right that you need to understand yeah. and yeah. Not, you know internal concepts and things are wonderful but if they're not layered on top of Right, a, a, found, a fun foundational understanding of how movement works and how things can get broken if you're not careful. Right? <laughs> the fundamental belief, right? Um, then, then it can be dangerous to teach those things in isolation. You know, like teaching yeah. um, mindsets of spirituality and self-defense and stuff like that, um, as if that's that alone is sufficient, right? So, some aspect of that foundational combative movement is sufficient. So, so you're the question that you ask is who's in front of me, what do they need or want to learn, right? If it yeah. is a group of law enforcement and they have to restrain people without killing them or something, or that yeah. you know they have a duty to act, they can't run away. You know, no. uh, we need to teach them techniques for control and restraint, and we need to teach them to manipulate the environment they have and to learn to do all of this while the dream lies and all those things. I think that's 
that stuff's been fairly well covered, I think, you know, like in elsewhere and other books and yeah. the benefits of pressure testing and aliveness and all of those things. I think that's fairly well established yeah. that if that's what you're training for, right, if that's your job, if you're an action professional, right, you're running in and out of buildings and people depend on you not to die, right, then yeah. you need some aspect of that, that, that training in place. That's not to say that some of the other aspects, the self-development and the spirituality cannot also be useful to those people, right? It can help them recover from trauma that they face yeah. on the job. It can help them to stay calm while they're going into it. And there's a little bit of crossover there, I think, is an interesting yeah. thing. Because I think there's a way to train those physical techniques that makes you actually more aggressive and adrenalized and more likely to miss things, right? To, to get the red mist too soon and not to be aware of your environment, which can get you killed too, right? If, even if you're in that environment, which is part of the yeah. reason why this esoteric stuff is taught within a military martial art or was in the first place, I think. Um, but there's an undeniable core to it that if you're in that job, then that's what you do. Now, if you expect to get into fist fights, monkey fights, you know, um, there's an aspect to the same, isn't there? Like you have to be aware of what it's possible for people to do to you. Like they can kick you in the legs, they can choke you, they can do a double leg takedown. You know, if, you know, if people kickbox or do grappling or something like that, you have to be aware of what the limit of the possibilities are and that there might be friends and they might have bottles and all of that kind of stuff too, right? So again, if you're training people with the implicit or explicit goal that that's what they're going to be able to do after a few years of this, right? <laughs> that they might be able to handle themselves better in the monkey fight. Um, then you have to include aspects of that. You have to include aspects of the biomechanics and what happens when people take you down, how to fall properly, how to avoid getting taken down, you know, how to defend yourself, move well against kicks and things like that, right? Um, that's all in there, definitely. I think there's an interesting kind of middle ground where we're kind of saying, all right, let's say when somebody's coming into it and they they want some they want some additional fundamental ability to defend themselves. They want the ability to survive and run away. You know what I mean? Like that's actually what they want. They don't want the ability to kick somebody's ass and hold them down and grab all that kind of stuff. They just want the ability to get out of something, like to, to weather some damage and get out, you know, if that's is what they have to do. Um, and there's an interesting crossover there. I think somewhere in the Venn diagram between his foundational combat that you need to learn and his foundational psychological mindset and awareness and things that keep you calm enough to get you out of trouble, there's some overlap in the middle there, right, I think, definitely. And I think if you go all the way this way, it's dangerous. If you go all the way this yeah. way, it's also dangerous. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts on that, like just where that overlap exists and how much is, is, is useful? Well, the first uh, thing which comes to my mind is, uh, is, is a study I did in 2001 for the Dutch Police Academy. And they asked me about the missing link. Uh, they asked me to study all kind of reality-based self-defense programs and then uh, advise them in which uh, of these systems was the best for the Dutch police when it came mm. to self-defense and subject control and stuff like that. So I, I offered that and then they asked me, I had to do the presentation and uh, someone asked me, okay, uh, this is clear, uh, but according to you, what's the missing link? And I say, well, there is one aspect I miss in all programs. And for me, it's the most effective uh, self-defense technique ever. And so, uh, say, okay, what's that? I said, running away. Mm -hmm. Just running away. Just uh, you, you see something is very, very dangerous and you run away. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I said that's something I miss in in all uh, in in all self defense uh, courses. Uh, 
no matter uh, whether it's Krav Maga or, or a Viper or, well, uh, what, what do you have more, Spear or Tony Blauer, they mm. all focus on the, the fight. Yeah. Mm. But there, when it comes to self-defense or uh, resilience, uh, when it, we make it even more, it, there is much, much more uh, Hmm. And I think I think when you talk about the 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 overlap in 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 between, hmm. it isn't any more about uh, fighting and and stuff like that. It's I think perception is one of the most important stuff both sides hmm. of the extremity need. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's not only perception. So the situational awareness. What, what do you need to watch? But I think one of the most important things and. Also, in my opinion, why most internal martial arts uh, don't, um, I say it in English, uh, live up to the expectations, hmm. is is that they are not taught. Uh, you know, when when you when you want to apply an internal principle, you need to have a kind of connection with your body. You need to feel this yeah. internal world. Sure. But when when you're not taught how to do it. Hmm. Uh, as sometimes you learn uh, in some some uh, self defense courses, you you learn a little bit about situational awareness. Hmm. Does someone wear a knife? Does someone does this? Uh, the, oh, okay, that's easy. But but um, you know Antonio Damasio, he he wrote that you know him, man. Eh? Mm-hmm. He wrote yeah. a lot of yeah. interesting books, and one of them I don't know the title so, but in one of the books. You have them? I'm just looking at, yeah, I've got one of the ones over there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, self I'm comes, also looking behind, but I think, self, I think Self Comes to Mind is the one that I read most recently. That's uh, that's quite brilliant, about the construction of the of con- of the conscious state of self. But also there's another one about um, the feeling of what is, I think, or something. Like that. Maybe that was another one. That's yeah, I, I think it's something. Uh, it, one title is Spinoza's Right or something. In Dutch it is, okay. the, uh, you know, he, he wrote one of the cuts uh, ever. And then he wrote another book about Spinoza, and and Spinoza was right. And it is about exactly the same theme you you just point out. It's mm. about consciousness, and uh, he he describes a certain, you know, consciousness. Uh, on the moment, our brain becomes conscious, and we are actually aware of what's going on. Mm. Before that, our body is already busy f- for a long time to build up this consciousness, sure. and. My hypothesis was then that you know you can when you when you are really in contact with your body, so this interoception, this proprioception, you really learn how to do it. Then you are able to pick up the signal earlier, way earlier, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Than mm-hmm. waiting until the movie is projected on the big wide screen, you know. Yeah. And and I think when you talk about this this area in between, I, I think there's the challenge because. No matter where you you can be a special unit operator, or you can be someone who just wants to be safe out there on the street when taking a drink with with uh, friends. Hmm. Both need this this yeah you, you can call it self awareness or or, or or whatever you want to call it, but both both need that. So hmm. I, I I I think um, this should be. Uh, in the training of of everyone, this this uh, uh, becoming aware uh, in an earlier stage uh, yeah. in this consciousness process. Mm. I think that this is one, and and the other part me is just 
okay, and how does that relate to my movement abilities? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something I definitely want to circle back to, but in order to avoid going down that rabbit hole too soon <laughs> and losing half of the listeners like, what are these crazy guys talking about? You know? um, so before we go all the way down that, take that yeah. blue pill, right. And go all the way down the Morpheus yeah. blue pill. Um, on the, on a simpler level, right. I just kind of want to kind of flesh out something that's sometimes, I don't know, bothers me or there's a psychological tension in there about kind of how to teach this or how to put this across in the best way. Right. Um, if there's kind of an arc that I see in people learning Sistema and, I, and martial arts in general, right? Um, and yeah. I include myself in this, right? In in what we feel like is important in the movement, right? Um, in the beginning, it's just, you just want to learn how to put your hands and your feet and your hips and your body in order to have an effect, right? You just want to be like, how do I position myself so that I can throw the guy, so that I can kick the guy hard, so that I can deliver this and it looks crisp and it looks good, right? Um, and I feel like I'm training my body to do a repetitive series of things so that there's a, you know, a repetitive motor pattern. And then when I want one, I have a crisp jab, right. Or a round kick or a throw or whatever it's going to be like, it will just surface because I've programmed myself to do it. So there's one kind of set of mindsets and sets of training, which kind of feed into that, right? Like do something over and over again, cut the air a thousand times with the sword. And sooner or later, your muscles get really good at finding the efficiency in that, right? Of course, you can also do it wrong a thousand times and amplify inefficiencies and, you know, put yourself out of structure and all kinds of stuff too. But that's one way of looking at it, right? To train your body until it's a repetitive weapon that exudes dangerous movements. Kind of makes sense, right? That's that's yeah, one yeah. that's one mindset that I've seen. Like, and, yeah. and you you can push this in Krav Maga or in kickboxing, you know, lots and lots of ways that, right? Um, and then there's this realization that you can be on transmit as much as you want, right? You can have this dangerous set of weapons and movements and things like that, right? But if you miss right, or your timing is off or you stagger or the, the guy kicks your leg in the middle of a movement or something like that, right? Your The power of your movements can become dangerous to you right? That you can injure yourself. Like, and I'm not even talking about being hundred percent committed to things like diving into a tackle or throwing your leg into a thing. I mean, we've all seen things like, you know, Conor McGregor or, you know, um, what's now, what's his name? The Brazilian guy who was a brilliant kickboxer went into MMA, uh, the spider silver, Anderson silver, you know, like oh, yeah. smashing, breaking his leg, you know, one of the a fantastic kickboxer, but goes to kick a guy he spikes it kick shields with his leg and then he goes to put his leg back down and he's got no leg right it's all bendy and he yeah. falls over right so you can become extraordinarily dangerous and powerful with that ability to transmit force and become a liability to yourself right and yeah. and, and realize that mm, if i don't hold this in check it's not a matter of um i don't know philosophy or like um ethic ethics it's not like oh I, I don't want to hurt you so i need to learn to calibrate this so i don't want to hurt you it's just a practical thing <laughs> that we realize how fragile our own bodies are and it's yeah. very possible to destroy them now at this point some martial arts go two ways some say we're just going to kick palm trees and banana trees until our legs are <laughs> yeah. indestructible right or stone fist conditioning and they're like don't worry about it we'll just make you very very hard and it won't matter if you punch elbows or foreheads and things like that right which i think is a little bit insane but still um because yeah. that's not sustainable for for life i don't think um no. or they go the other way which is just like okay we have to learn to moderate our movement in some way right to constrain our movement so that it does the job 
right? It's still you can deliver an effective strike, a effective punch or a grapple or something, but not putting yourself at risk. And there's a stage of development there. I don't know what belt it happens at or how many years people have been training, but they realize that that's going to be necessary, that maybe there's always one guy in the class who never realizes this, right? <laughs> he just he always charges in, he always gets hurt, he's always in the, you know, or yeah, hurts other yeah. people all the time. But most sane people doing this after a while realize that it cuts both ways, right? That you can hurt yourself mm-hmm. if you're a fouts. So that tends to cultivate a kind of a more, I don't know, a more cautious, balanced form of movement. And you see good athletes, very good boxers, martial artists, karateka, that they hit in a balanced way. You know, like they never, that there are times when they commit, you know, there are times when they'd be like, oh, I'm going to keep going. But 99% of their movement is cautious in a way of like, they're not going to allow themselves to be damaged. And they, they, the they, they, they commit, but they never overcommit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so yeah. so part of that is about overcommitting balance, right, and structure mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, in Sistema, there's this influence on this this emphasis on, okay, the best kinds of movements that you make are so clean and so smooth, right? They feel so smooth to you that they feel like, you know, the language is there's almost no tension in them, right? In reality, of course, there's a lot of tension, right? Um, yeah. But if it's balanced and it feels fairly even and there isn't a sudden flare-up or bunching of tension or sudden stretching of fascia or something, then the way you perceive it from an interoceptive point of view is that it's it's fairly even, right? Like to you, the whole body was involved in the movement. Um, and those movements, th- th- that way of training, I think is very, very interesting because it seems to be an interesting way of, um, I don't know, like a like an algorithm for focusing what is good and bad movement instead of training one thing again and again and saying, oh, t- careful not to extend your knee past your toe or you'll break yourself, right? It, it just gives you an algorithm for understanding when something is overreached or overcommitted or overstretched, which can protect you in infinite situations, right? Versus trying to study one position, things like that. So I think that's a really useful thing. And I'll, I'll be interested to hear your your kind of perceptions of that as a, as a neuroscientist and as a scientist, like how useful is that algorithm to you? Um, but the follow-up part to that question is how practical does that become in that view of like a combative situation where sometimes you do have to commit and sometimes you do have to push yourself forwards um and is there space for always protecting yourself that way because in my mind that's what i want to teach my students i I always want to teach them to use movements that don't destroy them first right even if there's another movement which could take the guy down right or or could break the guy right like it's not worth the risk if what you're risking is beating yourself up first right so that's always the way that i teach but again, that that falls short. So I'm just interested on your take. I realize that's a big and double part question. But, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's right. I, I think we need to start with uh, uh, the, the, the teaching part. Hmm. And um, the reaching you know, part, you said, sorry. The teaching. How the teaching, do, how right. do you, uh, yeah, yeah. Because what, uh, in my opinion, what goes wrong a lot of times, uh, especially in Sistema, but also in, in Tai Chi and stuff like that, is that the teacher uh, too quickly is demanding a kind of internal awareness. Uh, so you need to feel this. You need, But mm. sometimes they don't even know what's left or right, Yeah, uh, uh, which makes it very frustrating. And then they say, yeah, you need to deal with your frustration. No, you have to teach. <laughs> you need to teach in a different way. And yeah. what we know now from neurodidactics and, and motoric learning is that in, in the beginning stages of, of learning, um, when we just take the subject of attention, 
most students need an, an external uh, focus. So mm. I know I'm able to hit hard. Why? Because the teacher says, okay, here's a striking pad in front of you. If, mm. if you hit it, I want it to move from here to there. Okay. So I see that I'm able to hit or I need to make a kick against my, my training partner and he or she moves uh, uh, in, in space. So you need so that I immediate know. feedback. You need that immediate feedback yeah. of result, you know, cause effect, cause effect, like quick feedback. That, that's the beginning stage of, of uh, so, and then you can uh, enter with how, uh, so say more the internal awareness, but first they need this external focus. Okay, when I do this, um, I'm able to do uh, that. And when I do this, this is the cause. And then sometimes when then you can say, OK, but now your your partner is um, uh, throwing in a bit more resistance. So instead mm. of just standing there, they really brace themselves and try to move them now. Mm. And then they feel different things. And um, then you can uh, go in and say, OK, but these are the biomechanical uh, principles. Let's try this one. Mm. But every time this external focus, they need to see what the effect of their actions is. Mm. And on the moment they feel comfortable in you as, a, as an instructor or trainer sees, oh, uh, they, 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 they get it. Then you can come, okay, now let's, let's try this, uh, the same, but with a different uh, principle. Sure, yeah. Now you try the same, but on the moment you think, oh, he or she is moving, and I didn't do anything. Hmm. That's that's good. Hmm. But then they know. Um, in in Germany, you have this this uh, educational principle. They call it failure corrector, which is translated as the correction of mistakes. Hmm. So they say if you don't know how to do it. So if if your teacher tells you to do it more relaxed, and you say, okay, what what is more relaxed? Because that's yeah. In fact, it's a stu you need to relax more. But what is it to yeah, relax, relax more? Relax more. Shoulder, yeah. legs. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's one of the most. It? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the most stupid things a teacher can say. But but, but uh, okay, you say you say uh, and so okay, you don't know how to do it. No, I don't. I really don't know uh, what you mean. Okay, then just do it in the way you think you have to do it. Hmm. And when the student does it, and they say, okay, that's not the way I mean. So you need to try different ways, hmm. but the effect needs to be the same, but you need sure. to try it in a different way. And from that, pro that's a kind of go-between process hmm. in which the students is struggling with going from the external focus to the internal focus. Hmm. Um, but in that process, you, you need to, I, I always am tended to say, you need to em em embody them more. Hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, because you can say, okay, try to relax this, but if they don't feel, yeah, uh, what a relaxed muscle is, you, yeah, you, you talk Chinese to them, you know. So, yeah, you first need to learn them the the language of of of, of the body and the movement. Yeah. So that's so there's that so on a practical level there. So there's one immediate, easy practical piece of advice, which is 
don't go too esoteric too soon. Right? No, um, you know, start with the external, push and pull things around, try it, get it, you know, do it with strength, do it with standard biomechanics, yeah. right? A bit before you even start playing with other things. And I think that's always a good rule to follow, right? You should always show the, it's like in a science experiment, right? You need to see the baseline before you start messing with it. You need to yeah. see the control, you know, it's like, yeah. and, al and allow them to make mistakes. We yeah. are still, yeah, I'm sorry to talk, but fucked up as teachers with, uh, with assumption that we need to correct mistakes as soon as possible. Mm. That's that's a way, but not a way which is applicable to Sistema. Mm. In Sistema, you need to allow your students to make mistakes because the mistakes are your entry point mm. to move to the internal world. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you want to correct them and, and, and you are correcting them, then you keep it external. Mm. Then, then, you know, it's the same. I, where's the book? Do you know this? Uh, it's a bit. Do you know this book? I don't think I have read that one. Actually, power versus it's, force. It's power versus force. It's it's uh, the hidden determined uh, determinants of human behavior. It's of David Hawkins, mm. and he, he is uh, he's using nonlinear dynamics. Okay. And and he he says there is a difference between force and power. And in in our talk, when you keep them correcting. On, on certain mistakes, you, you force your students towards using force. But mm. force means, by definition, that there is always a counteraction. Sure, yeah. And he says, if you want to, uh, to bring your students from, from force to power, conscience needs to be part of the process. Mm. And uh, and that's the uh, you know what, what we just talked about this awareness part this perception part is then a very important part, but yeah. it only is available to most students if they first really try to do it by force. And then you say, but that's not what I mean. Let's try yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So there's an interesting thing that happens there as well, though. So let's say um you're you bear all that in mind, right? And, you, and you're setting up a drill and you say to somebody, okay, try and push the person and it's not working out. And, um, you know, they, they try it five different ways. Um, and then they have an opportunity to try and make it work a different way, right? But they make it work, but in a way that you didn't, <laughs> that you weren't trying to emphasize through the movement. Let's say they just use body weight and they lean into something to push somebody over, right? Or they, they find some shortcut, which is not the, not the way that you wanted them to go, um, over committing or losing balance or something like that on the path to trying to get that result, right? They're so focused on the result of breaking someone's structure or making them move backwards or making them go, oh, you hit me so hard. But they'll do anything in order to achieve that result. And yeah. then sometimes they they lose, like if you think about the two people as like a, as two halves of a of a bridge right there, there's yeah. a moment of instantaneous connection where you're yeah. connected to the ground and so are they and bam right they get a result and this breaks but there's kind of a rebound effect right it's like two people are in zero gravity and they, they push themselves backwards a bit when they hit or you know the throw is a bit off balance because they pull themselves in too far or something and without that kind of internal somatic awareness like you can point those things out to people and they'll keep making those mistakes again and again and again, right? They'll keep doing it, right? Um, so is the step, what's the stepping stone to lead people from, you know, uh, an obliviousness of that happening to them while they do people? Because if you focus too much on the result uh, and just getting it done, you lose yourself, right? Focus too much on yourself and not enough on the result and you kind of get stymied, right? <laughs> you get stuck and it's hard to figure out how to express your power on something else. So is the stepping stone that kind of very fundamental 
solo somatic work where you're just yeah. figuring out how your body connects, how it's put together, how you initiate. I always them, use uh, the, the following. I have the I have a, a, I think about six kind of rest, very easygoing uh, drills of, or exercises which look a bit like easygoing. Uh, uh, no, not easygoing. Simplified pushing hands exercises. I also use them for children, mm. but they are my, um, I use them to create baselines every time. So I, if one exercise, for example, is we stand with the feet parallel and we just grab each other's hands. And then the, the goal is you need to keep your feet where they are. The, I have the same goal, but by pulling and pushing, I, I try to make you uh, lose your balance and make a step. And when you make a step, I have, I've, yeah. So we start with that exercise, and we I have a lot of different exercises. Directly, uh, I say, okay, really try to feel. So before I do this exercise, I uh, do a, a kind of body awareness exercise with them, just a body scan, quick scan. Mm. Then they do the exercise. Then they go back to the ground. Most of the time, I do ground exercises. And I do, for example, just some, some, some basic stuff. Uh, connect your knee and elbow, but they have to st stay in touch with the floor. If mm. they are not in touch with the floor, it's not not a problem, but just become aware of it. Mm. And I have a lot of drills like that. Then I go back to the same, uh, say, pushing hands exercise. And the only mm. question I ask them is, what's different? Mm. Yeah. And what I note, it's a kind of implicit learning process, uh, mm -hmm. which, in my opinion, is is most of the time much more effective than explicit learning processes. Mm -hmm. Because for you, it can be different than for me. But but when, as a teacher, I say, this is how it needs to be done, maybe you mm -hmm. feel a loser. And mm -hmm. I say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. But, you know, uh, so I, I really want to, to throw people back to their own learning processes and monitor that. Mm -hmm. And then when they feel that and they feel oh, oh, maybe a tiny difference, then I throw in a bit more complicated kind of wrestling exercise. And so the, the it, it's more tiring. It's it's uh, yeah yeah more heavy on. So it becomes more complicated because the stances are. are but every time I do this, this partner drill, and I go back to individual um, yeah movement drills like pro perception and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah just yeah. just uh for example you you in sistema you also have this push up and then you you turn to the side on your elbow and then you yeah. try to push up without the feeling of of pushing up so you use the momentum of the movement hmm. and i say okay feel that so if you use the momentum then you need a lot uh, of a lot less uh, strength Try to apply that now. I don't know. I don't care how you do it, but try to apply it. What's mm. what's changing then in the exercise? Mm. And that's the way I, I try to get people from this external uh, focus to an internal focus. Mm. But first, without um, a technique, just mm. play. I just mm. play with them. Mm. And when they feel and say, oh, yeah, but when I do this or that, then it's easier and I'm more able to maintain my own balance. But and stuff like that, I say, OK, then then we go to, OK, let's apply this in, in, a, in a technique. Not that you need to remember the technique, hmm. but I just want to show you a couple of examples of this principle. And yeah. then we first practice that. And then we go back to I always when I 
throw in a technique, I always end up in some wrestling game in which they have only one assignment, try to apply it. Mm. And so that's the first, so the application of the of, of the technique. Mm. And then the second, if, if they are able to do it, okay, then uh, according to the principle, uh, uh, less is more. Mm. Can you do it with even less tension? Can you do it even with less even less? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how do we need to do it? I don't care how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> but le- but less less is more. Maybe so, less so you're basically so you're basically set, setting the boundary condition or for yeah. like some constraint based learning, but you're not telling them how they get there. You're just like, I don't care how you do it, just find your way to this. I create a playground. And, yeah. and so they know this is our playground, and within this playground, we can do whatever we want. Uh, but it needs to be safe. Well, th- mm. that's that's uh, obvious. But we can make mistakes. That's one of the most important uh, things I think is that that they are that they feel that they are allowed to make mistakes. Mm. Yeah. Um, because I, I, you know, when you create a, an a, an environment in your in your classroom, which makes people afraid to make mistakes, they never learn Sistema. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's hard enough already without having somebody looking over your shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah Sistema is is uh, Andreas Weitzel from Germany. He always said Sistema is uh, simple but not easy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a lot of people uh, underestimate that. Yeah. Hmm. And 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 just by uh, the fact they have some ignorance, uh, and and based on their ignorance, they disqualify Sistema as hmm. some post hippie sure. uh, stuff. But I, I I think that's that that's well, it doesn't serve uh, Sistema the the right way. That kind of criticism. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, and to be fair, it's a spread and it's a much bigger world of Sistema than it was. And like yeah. sometimes some of these criticisms are justified, you know, like there, uh, there are some yeah. people who are, like definitely. you said, that they're, they're saying they're doing one thing and they're doing something different, you know, and it's, uh, and that's fine, you know, and and every martial art and everything that puts itself in the public domain is yeah, going and to it's, be criticized. I, I think right? it's so also like, due yeah. to, to how the Russians did, you know, in the beginning, I, I saw, I saw people, they, they, they went to two or three seminars. Hmm. And then Vladimir gave them an instructor certificate. Hmm. I said, uh, Vladimir, but uh, yeah, but uh, I like them. Hmm. I said, yeah. oh, so that's a qualification. Yeah. So I, I said, so you don't like me? No, you're a difficult person. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, so, but, I think definitely that they've, they've learned something about quality control over the years. No, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. there's something different now. It's like, yeah. But in yeah, the beginning, yeah. there the, were a lot of people, you know, they, they maybe they had a background in Aikido or, or something like mm. that. And yeah. Uh, so it, especially in that period, there were a lot of instructors. Yeah, they, they had a background of two or three seminars, and that was it. And a lot of video. <laughs> hmm. There yeah. was a lot of video. I guess it's the, it's the startup growth phase of everything, right? I mean, I'm I'm working for a startup biotech company now, you know, and it's a, it's it's quite small. It's less than fifty people, you know, but it's exploding really really fast. And everybody, you know, everybody loves working there when you know everybody, but everybody's afraid that when it gets too big, yeah, that it will become like everything else. And it's like so it's it's like anything else, you know. It's like and in the beginning, yeah. you just want everybody to know and be on the bandwagon. And after a while, you start getting a bit more exclusive, you know, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, maybe not you, maybe we need to do this. So yeah, I think maybe there's a natural growth pattern to what's 
what's happened to the system. Yeah. We've just have we've just watched it happen within our lifetimes, right? Whereas most martial yeah. arts that that's happened over a couple of hundred years, you know, with karate went from like funakoshi, you know, through in education and then kids and then you know you know organizations and hundreds of different styles and people you know yeah. delineating what they're going to be. So we, we we've just seen that play out in the early stage, whereas uh, a lot yeah. of other people just look at the end point and the and they arrive at their style and like, oh, this is the one, this is the karate, right? Or this is the tai chi because it was passed to me through a unbroken line of perfect, you know, masters. Yeah. Like, yeah. in, in that sense, I, yeah. I, I consider myself really lucky because yeah. uh, you know, I was there uh, more or less at the start and I spent a lot of time with, uh, especially Ryabko in, uh, yeah. at his house. Sure. And and so I saw all the big masters now having their own organization. Sure. But yeah. in that time, everyone trained together. And, yeah. uh, that, you know, Valentin Talanov, he, he knew the old stuff. So he, he taught mm. the old stuff. Orzeliev uh, mm. was a guy who ne- never came through a door. He always jumped the fence. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had some, some. So at once he was behind you, attacking you and saying, yeah. oh, you didn't notice well enough. So they all had their own thing. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was wonderful to. It was one big. The garden of Ryabko was one big playground. You're you're in the part of the golden age of Sistema, as a few of Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Great. So, yeah. Um, so coming back around a little bit to this um, idea. So we've kind of talked a little bit about um, you know the dangers of ignoring the need for external awareness, right? The the need to have your force um, generation and your biomechanics and things actually do something in the real world against things that resist and push and pull back, right? So that's one aspect. And then a little bit about how to make that connection, how to pull that back from the external world uh, of Mm -hmm. objects and things moving around back into yourself and get some more awareness of uh, what's my side of the equation here? Like, what am I using to push with? What what am I gathering? Where's this movement coming from? What's getting left behind? What's connected and what isn't? And that's a stage of development too, I think, right? And and once you get into that, that's, I think that's... um, I mean, that's an endless font of fascination for me, right? Even if I wasn't doing anything else, even if I wasn't interested anymore in moving other people around or defending myself like that way, I could just geek out and go into that hole of, you know, oh, wow, I could generate this movement from so many places, right? And I think some people do, right? They get, And there are whole systems of movement now that you see online and stuff where people have taken aspects of this, not necessarily from Sistema, you know, they've come from other disciplines maybe gymnastics or parkour or something right and and that's what it is they're like oh learn learn my natural flow system you know like and the and it's just really feeling those connections and there's a joy in that right i think there's a joy yeah. in efficient movement that just feels good that that doesn't break the body and you get that agility and that ability to move a bit like a cat you know you just kind of rebound yeah. around things and stuff and i think that's wonderful and i think yeah. there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever um so we've gone external we've gone internal there's another place to go to, which I think is quite interesting, which kind of brings us back to our discussion about consciousness a little bit and mm-hmm. where you put your intention and where you put your consciousness, right? Often, as, as you start to work with people, once you've got some understanding of your own body and, the, and those things and some understanding of somebody else, right, you can start to play around with, okay, where does his idea of this fight or this movement, or what we're doing? Where does his idea of his half of the dance, where does that come from? And and you can start to kind of play around with the feeling of that a little bit, right? You And you can start to question where your idea of where it is comes from. And you can put yourself into different states of consciousness, right? Um, some of which are more useful, and some of which are less useful for 
reacting to the environment that's around you. So on a very simple level, you can do that drill where somebody's pushing and pulling you around, punching you, and you can cultivate kind of like a, you know, you want to get away from it, right? You, you don't, you hate it. You, you know, you've, it feels terrible and you, you come to that feeling in yourself. You're like, yeah, I hate it. Escape, 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 escape. And you feel like a cornered rat, right? You know, you're constantly just getting, and you're always on the back foot psychologically. You never have the initiative, like even when you scramble and you try and get to a place where you have an advantage, unless you're much more skilled or much faster than the other person. It's very hard to recover from it. If you're in that mindset of just like escape, 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 then you can cultivate a kind of indifference, right? You can say like, Hey, my body is fairly resilient. I can take punches. I can take hits and things like that. Um, and you still escape, but you're less concerned for like every little touch. You're not moving like you're in a, like a touch fighting tournament, you know, like uh, moving for every flinch and things like that. That has an interesting effect. But that can also be a little bit dangerous if you apply it too much, right? If you become too indifferent to somebody who's trying to move you or hit you, you can still get knocked out or hit with a plank or something like that. So that's not the end point. And then you can play with something like curiosity. You can be like, I'm, I wonder what he wants, right? And there's an interesting space that opens up when you do that. And they, you know, that's the that's a very basic drill that I learned years and years ago. And people just, you know, whenever I show that drill or have them do it, they're always amazed at the way their movement changes just based on where they're starting with their mind. Like, whereas like just physically escape, do it, do it, do it, use all your agility, use all your skills and your muscles, right? That does one thing. Be indifferent does something completely different and allows their bodies feel heavier, you know, and the, and the movements become a little bit sometimes more um, deliberate, more precise, right? And they, mm -hmm. there's less reactivity in flinching. Um, and then curiosity does this weird thing where there's a kind of a form of outreach, right? Where like you're kind of meeting their idea of movement in advance. And because you care about what they want, you care about like, and I'm not talking about like looking, trying to read the jab or see if you can see which leg they're balanced on to try and read the movement and then dodge it. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about just reading feints or things or balance. No. I'm talking about like you genuinely think about life from the other person's point of view. Like what does he want? What what's his best case scenario for me right now? Is it for me to go into a little ball? Is it for me to, you know, get knocked backwards and that kind of stuff? And if you can maintain that and then start to move with somebody with skills that you already have, right? Skills which you've developed. And I should say that none of this is particularly useful unless <laughs> unless you've developed a foundation of physical skill and an ability to yeah. move things around, right? So we're into that realm of things now, right? Um, but it's clear that where you put your attention, right? including too much attention on yourself, right? And, and your own body, right? Can really matter. And that if you put it somewhere in between you and your opponent and you care almost, I don't know about equally, I don't know if there's a, like a, you know, a balance to this, but it, it's almost like you care almost as much about what he wants as you do about what you want out of this. And then you let things play out. It does a really interesting thing that starts to generate that effect that you were talking about earlier on, where the movements become somehow cleaner, or faster or more prescient. I don't mean they accelerate faster. I just mean that you make them sooner, like you read things sooner and you move sooner. I don't think there's anything spooky or spiritual about this at all. I think it's purely no. on a neurological level. You're, you're just getting yourself to a state of consciousness that's more receptive um, and that your body starts to move before you, you're getting your conscious mind out of the way, like the prefrontal cortex disconnects a little bit. I don't know, right? Something to do with those terms kind of thing. Can you, can you speak to that at all? Because often, unfortunately, when we start to talk about these things or people in systema start to talk about them, it's immediately washed with a kind of haze of, oh, this is, you know, magic powers or, you know, this is a, a spiritual 
practice and it's, it relies on a deep understanding of other people or so, do you know what I mean? Or some perfect, you have to be a perfect person. You have to be clean in order to understand people or something. I don't think that it necessarily is. I think it's a cultivatable ability, not to say that I'm brilliant at it. I'm just saying that there's, there's a neuroscience scientific precedent for that kind of observation and that kind of responding to things like, and it's been talked about in terms of flow state, I think, and it's been talked about in terms in other contexts as well. But I'm just I'm just interested in your take on that, like your experience of that state, what what you do to either try and um, keep yourself in it or make use of it, um, and what you see the limitations of that perhaps being like for anything and everything about that state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the first uh, thing which comes to my mind is the work of Peter Ralston. Mm. The the, uh, the principles of effortless power. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Read that years ago when I did Aikido. Yeah, he's a. Yes. I I work. Uh, he he's a strange guy, but mm-hmm. he's also a brilliant guy. I worked with him a, a, a lot of times because uh, Holland is one of his European strongholds. Hmm. So he, he is here uh, now in July. He's also coming again for two weeks, and. Um, He's always talking about uh, outreaching. Hmm. And what you just uh, mentioned is, in fact, what he calls outreaching. And to him, it's a very rational endeavor. It's not nothing spooky about. Hmm. And he connected then with, with the principles, okay, you outreach, you really try to connect with another human being. And he has exercises with, you know, you you close your eyes, you, you touch someone's shoulder and then you feel the fabric of the clothing and then sure. through the fabric so you go layer by layer you go down hmm. and they start to move then he goes to to okay then you listen to them what what are they doing actually and from the listening you start to join them hmm. and from the joining you can go to neutralizing and hmm. so th- then it becomes uh, then he uh, enters the, the the fight state but to him it's 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 an it's an um very rational uh, process. I think mm. that that's that's uh, one part. I think, but I don't know clearly now how to bring. But I think somehow this uh, um, mirror neurons are also involved in in into that because yeah. I know that Rob Redenbach, He I did a training with him. He was the security advisor of Nelson Mandela, mm. and he developed this this really harsh self defense and. Method which enabled you in three days uh, to really go uh, into South Africa. So it was really, really, yeah, it was. Really, and one of the things he always said is foc- uh, uh, focus on the pain of the other one, mm. never on your own. Uh, so he also put an emphasis on focus on on the other human being mm. instead of yourself. And, mm. uh, he had a different thing. He said because when you feel your own pain, you feel very sorry for yourself, but. If you see that the other one is also in pain, then you can skip that. And that was a, mm. a trick, a mind trick. Mm. And so there are two examples of, uh, um, for me, the fact that the focus on the other one is is not hocus pocus. It's it's really uh, something worthwhile. Mm. For me, there is a flaw in into that. Okay. And um, that brings me back to the start of our discussion. What what brings someone to martial arts? Hmm. And um, 
when I look at a lot of martial artists, I, I notice it myself. I have an injury now in my in my back, and it's. I have to say, it's it's because I didn't. Uh, I was very convinced of myself that I could handle a certain situation, and I I wasn't. Hmm. And from there, I went to a, a physical therapist and a body worker, and they started to work. And I saw at once that my body composition changed. Hmm. And then they, uh, the guy said, "This is your really, this is your real uh, body composition." But I had this hollow back. But but my martial art training taught hmm. me how to have this straight up. He said, "Yeah, but the 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 thing." And then I I, I started thinking that. We make a lot of times the the mistake in martial arts that mastery uh, is a kind of resetting deeper layers of emotional turmoil. So we okay. just we just put a layer on top of it. Hmm. So we are afraid. Actually, deep inside, we are afraid, but we hold this position and a mask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in Japanese, right? The mask. mask. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I think especially. That so your beliefs, what do you believe, and and st- your assumptions and stuff like that, they can put your consciousness into a mist. Mm. And especially in the exercise you talk about now, in the beginning stages, it's no problem. Then mm. it's then it's okay to do it. But on a on a higher level, it becomes uh, more important to to get rid of this. That's why I like Sistema because they mm. don't work with all this Kamai sure. stuff and and stuff like that. Um, because that's important. The, your, your conscious, your level of consciousness, is helped by the fact that you are able and willing to take the how you say it the, the, the top layer of this layer of furnace. You call it furnace, or stubborn. You know, you have yeah, a like, well with a with a, a cover. Okay. Like, like a like a. You close like the well. Yeah. I'm not sure we have an equivalent word for that in English. I don't, or if we do, then I, my farming knowledge is and well, no, plumbing knowledge is not up to scratch. But so the cover on the well, you think, like like a lid, all the, the... yeah, you know, uh, uh, the old farms they had they had this this water uh, thing. How do you call it in English? So they have to put a bucket and into the into the yeah, like a well. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing is a well usually. Yeah, but they, yeah, they yeah. also put something up to to protect it. Uh, so a wooden uh, like a little stone. roof that goes over the top to it. Yeah, and so it's closed. You can't okay. access it. Uh, so you first need to open it. And and okay. I think martial you need to be careful that martial art becomes that clothing of the well. Hmm. Because you don't uh, and especially if you want to to take the the ability you just described to a different level. Hmm. It doesn't start with connecting with the other one, but connecting with yourself at the first place. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you really need to look very critically together with your trainer. What's the real reason hmm. that I started training martial arts? Hmm. Is it is it really that I want uh, just some personal development or am I actually busy with the fact that i was bullied as a, as, yeah. a, as a child yeah Don't, i want to to ignore that fact uh, yeah. and only yeah. be busy with spiritual development but deep inside there is this small bullet child who says no you have yeah. to hit the other one sure yeah and if you're not which comes out under pressure <laughs> it comes <laughs> out yeah exactly yeah. But then you're not focused anymore on the other one. You, you actually have assumption and beliefs and, and other emotional stuff, which mm. blur your uh, 
your 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 objective perception of the other one. Hmm. And I, I that that's you, you know I I don't know if I told you this story, but you know I was bullied as a child, and the only thing I wanted is to become a world champion in martial arts because. Who is going to bully a world champion in martial arts? I think we did talk about it in the first podcast. Yeah, I think that's how you ended up getting to be the world championships in karate. Yeah, so I, be- yeah. I became this world champion, but then I ended up in Moscow with Ryabko, and Ryabko put me against the wall. So mm. I had to stand about 50 centimeters in front of the wall, and he started pushing me. And, uh, and then he started to hit and to hit and to hit. And then uh, he did it a couple of times. And then he said to me, yeah, you made a mistake, you know? I said, oh, okay, what's the mistake? He said, your whole focus was on making other people afraid for you. I said, yeah, because, you know, I said, yeah, I understand. But you only made one mistake. He said, by making other people afraid of you, you you didn't, of you ignored your own fears. Hmm. And I said, so if you want to go to the next level, you have to face your own fears. Hmm. I said, because now uh, you never are able to connect with another human being because uh, if they touch something of the fear of a small child inside of you, Hmm. you react totally different. So if you say, I really want to connect with another human being, you have to get rid of the impact of, of this fear. Yeah, you have to process those deep set kind of yeah, you know, and it doesn't that mean that you need to do, yeah mm. and it doesn't mean that you have to go into a psychotherapy if if you need it you have to of course sure. but mm. but it, it 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 it's not enough to put mastery on top of this emotional uh, turmoil inside of you when it's going it's on a shaky foundation right it's a shaky foundation yeah exactly then yeah. then mm. then you have a, a foundation uh, uh, a top top foundation you know like that yeah but the whole world under is, is shaking. And there's an interesting thing in that, because I think there's increasing acceptance of the idea of, you know, um, embodied cognition, right? And the, yeah. the, just the, the body creates certain ways that you interpret things, but it's a two-way street. And that, you know, your traumas of the past, you know, the whole, um, you know, Bessel van der Kolk and, you know, the, you know, the, uh, what's that book that you wrote? I'm trying to think now. The one, uh, the, uh, ah, it's gone out of my mind now about, um, about trauma being embodied and oh, Peter man. Levine, yeah, well, it's Peter Levine, yeah, Bessel van der Kolk, all that, all that line of people yeah. that talk about embodied trauma. And so I think people understand that you know traumas can manifest in patterns of posture and you know pull you into yeah. stress postures yeah. and shapes. And I've talked and you know taught seminars about this and all kinds of things like that. But I think there's a, there's an interesting other level in which you can kind of correct some of that stuff and you can get a lot of body work done. And you can do kettlebells and you can make yourself very, you can make the shell very, very strong and even supple, right? You can be a CrossFit person. You can be like a leopard, you know, you can be very powerful and very athletic, but still on some level, deep, deep down on some nervous system level, the little traumatized kid or whatever it was, right? Whatever happened to you is still just there waiting to come out. And it doesn't necessarily come out in daily kind of standing around life, right? No. But it can come out through movement. So it's not necessarily in a static posture that you won't see it in somebody when they're just standing there or sitting there. But then certain kinds of movement that they make, you'll see that they brace in certain ways, right? And then that that poses a danger to themselves or it gets in the way of them making the kinds of clean movements or the kinds of safe 
balanced movements that that yeah. are not overcommittal and things. And I, and I see that with a couple of um, you know, there's a couple of students that I have where where I see that like they're they're very aware of their posture in daily life and they they work very hard and they're very talented and they're very introspective and they spend hours working. But then when you see them in a situation, often their movement becomes chaotic, and it's not necessarily because they're just going fight or flight, you know, or they're just going like wholesale. It's, not, it's a very specific kind of chaotic, right? You know, like they are, they instantly have to be very close to somebody or they, you know, they have to push somebody back or something yeah. like that. And it's, it's a very interesting thing that that kind of trauma that expresses itself dynamically, not through just like you can look at the person and see what's happening. Right. And maybe you can see it in the way they walk. I don't know if you're very well trained, um, but maybe you only, some situations you only see it when somebody is really pushed. Right. And then you kind of see what comes out. And that's an interesting area for me because it's, um, it's hard to spot and it's hard for, for people to see themselves. Right. You, you're almost reliant on other people to, to hold that mirror up, you know, and be like, look, can you see what you're doing? It's very hard to see it for yourself. And I don't exclude myself from this. Right. I think I have you know, aspects of this, too. So. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the reasons that, um, you know, Val, Val Ryazanov, uh, a couple of years back, he, he, he contacted me and he said, I want to do a kind of instructor course. Would you like to join me into that? Because you're more familiar with with. Uh, all this teaching uh, models and stuff like I say, yeah, it's cool. Then we spent two hours with one exercise, but the only thing I did was asking the the, the participants to record uh, each other hmm. on video. So they the, hmm. No, they had the, yeah, they had their phones. I say you hmm. all have a have a smartphone, so take it. So two of you are doing the exercise. The third one is just uh, recording it, and the only thing you do after five minutes or two minutes. You stop and you only watch the video, hmm. and based on that, you uh, you decide. Okay, this is the the tip I'm uh, offering you, and you continue with that. And, but looking at yourself uh, is is uh, well very revealing hmm. and confronting more uh, than uh, than a teacher telling you. And hmm. they 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 came to this this insight in uh, physical education at, at, at schools uh, in which they did that. They, uh, all the children in the Netherlands, they have an iPad now or, or mm. something like that. And so they let the children record their, their somersaults and stuff like that. And they saw that they had the same uh, learning results uh, they normally had in six months. They had now in two weeks. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's incredible. But by looking at yourself, uh you 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 your 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 learning processes are are really really li like that accelerated wow but well, yeah. I realize we're coming up on time. Unfortunately, we, uh, oh, we yeah. got round up because I have to yeah, move yeah. on to my next uh, my next meeting and things going on. But this has been great. Um, just yeah. some, any any f closing thoughts? Any kind of final words of wisdom for people? So let's say if they're thinking about how to structure their their training for themselves or their teaching right we already kind of touched upon that concrete thing of like know what your motivation is and why the person in front of you wants to train and be very clear about what it is you're teaching them but let's say p people are interested in exploring some of the ideas we've been talking about like where you put your conscious awareness how to develop your own uh, awareness of self and that kind of stuff versus training external aspects of pushing and pulling and biomechanics and things like if 
is there a good proportion that you would have people study to uh, if they're if they're trying to kind of become general purpose martial artists so let's say they haven't got a particular focus on stress relief or they haven't got a particular focus on like combat effectiveness but where how much of that time should they be spending on external pushing and pulling versus internal versus where you put your consciousness or should that evolve over time do you think so yeah, I think you, you need at least two or three uh, training moments a week. Uh, but I, I, one thing which comes to my mind is is something Pascal Krieger once said. Pascal Krieger was the first Yodo expert in, in, in the non-Japanese Yodo expert uh, next to mm. Don Drager and stuff like that. Mm. He lived in Switzerland and he wrote a book, The Way of the Stick. And the, the book starts with uh, uh, Why Practice Budo? So why practice martial arts if mm. it doesn't lead beyond the dojo? And um, he said, of course, you can train six hours a day. But if your development stops on the moment you change in the dressing room and you just continue with stressing and stuff like that, don't bother. Yeah, mm. it, it's very important that. So you train for one hour or two hours and you just take one thing with you that's what i do every time at the end of the class i always uh, ask uh, my students to evaluate themselves and hmm. to to come up with one thing they want to take with them hmm. and that becomes the focus of the period between training one and training two or training three that's excellent advice man because lots of systemic groups have that kind of closing circle where people share their observations but i think sometimes it's like everyone shares it they have a good time and then it evaporates into the air and people go to the pub and they do <laughs> whatever they yeah, do. Exactly. but yeah if, no. if they can carry that 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 insight from one session to the beginning of the next and train on it in between that's that's huge that's it's a it's a present you know you, you put in a lot of time effort and energy and 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 uh Together with with uh, your, your your training partner, uh, you you get a present offered to you. So take it and and unwrap it and 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 study it and and experiment with it. But also in the pub, but also in 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 your work in your family life. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This has been a, an absolute pleasure, as it was the last time, and uh, exceeded all expectations. Um, if people <laughs> want to find out more about your work, or if you have anything available, like uh, online or via the web, uh, where should we redirect? Them? I, I think, uh, yeah, well, you, you, if you type my name, you can find me uh, on on Google and all. Um, did I send you uh, that that masterclass recording I did uh, two years ago? I think we had that one. Yeah, I think we sent that one out after yeah. after the last podcast, but that was brilliant. So yeah, I'll tag that one again for those that missed it last time and yeah. come back around because it was well worth doing. We had, yeah, lots of people tried that and loved it. So that was great. Okay, so yeah. uh, if I have something new, I send it to you so people can find it through you then. Yeah, please do. Wonderful. Yeah, all yeah. right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, friend. Likewise. Take care. Hey, bye-bye. Stay well. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.